Hello and welcome to How to Start Up, a podcast for anyone starting a company. This is a collection of conversations with people who have all successfully started, run and even sold their own companies, sharing not only professional but personal experiences on what we should be doing now, next or never. Hosted by me, Juliet Fallowfield, founder of PR consultancy for startups, Fallowfield and Mason. In this episode, we hear from Laura Tennyson, MBE, the founder and CEO of Jojo Maman Bebe. As a certified B Corporation, the company has committed itself to evaluate a triple bottom line, putting people and planet above profit. Laura started her company in 1993 from her London flat share, following on from an almost fatal accident whilst living in France. Having brought Breton-inspired clothing to the maternity market, today, Jojo Maman Bebe is widely considered the foremost maternity wear and baby clothing retailer in the UK, while also setting a great example for any new founder to follow. Hi, Laura. Thank you so much for your time today. It's fantastic that you have joined How to Start Up. Um, Just to start with, it would be wonderful if you could give a brief introduction as to who you are and the business that you started. Uh, Good morning. Uh, Thank you so much for inviting me onto your podcast. I'm Laura Tennyson, and I'm the founder and managing director of Jojo Maman Bibi. We're the UK's leading boutique mother and baby brand. And why did you start the company? Well, you know, I was 25, I think, when I first thought about starting Jojo, and it was my third business. So I suppose in those days, you could have called me a serial entrepreneur. Why did I think of starting Jojo? Well, I was actually lying in a hospital bed, having broken 20 bones in my body, and um, following a head-on collision car crash in France on the way to sell my previous business. And uh, looking back on it, uh, that car crash was a little bit of luck. And you might say that uh, success often comes through adversity. And in my case, that was very much the fact that I had started a small fashion company whilst I was still at school and was struggling to grow it because I literally made the garments myself. So that business kind of petered to an end. And I worked in retail for a little while to learn as much as I could. After about 18 months, I decided I'd learned as much as I could. I wanted to get back into a company of my own. And um, I guess uh, entrepreneurs are often a little bit arrogant, especially when they're young and enthusiastic and working for another business can feel a very slow progress to the top. I wanted to go back into fashion, decided I was going to do menswear, turned to write my business plan, went to about five high street banks, all of which turned me down. I even remember one bank manager looking at the business plan and saying, well, you're a bit too young. And uh, have you asked your father for some money? (gasps) Ironically, I had asked my father for some money. Uh, I only needed about £5,000 at that stage. And uh, he'd asked my father, he'd taken about three months, and then he'd actually come back and said, no, I don't think you should give up your proper job. You should carry on working in retail and be ambitious and work your way up to the top that way. And I just felt no. I'm going to do this myself. I decided to launch a little property agency. So I found this gap in the market to buy and renovate houses in rural Brittany for British clients. That business went well. And after about two years, I was able to sell it as a going concern. I realized about £50,000 startup capital 
from that first investment, which was £2,000 in the end, the five high street banks having turned me down, I asked a brother in the end, I've got three older brothers, and one of them was able to lend me £2,000, which I repaid um, six months later with interest. That became my French property agency, which I then sold as a going concern for the £50,000, which gave me the startup capital for Jojo. And that was all by the age of 25? So that was by the age of about 25. And I decided that I was going to go back into menswear, had this head on collision, ended up in hospital next to a young mum who was trying to buy clothes for her little ones after she was was terminally ill. And her little children used to come and visit her after work with her husband. And she would spend her day sort of buying clothes. It's a very sad time, but equally, it was a great sort of way of chatting to her without dwelling on this. She knew she had a, a life expectancy of several weeks. And it was just a great way of sort of chatting to her about uh, children's clothing and learning from her. And that really sparked the idea for Jojo. And I sort of teamed this knowledge of what a young mum wanted to dress her children in with my experience of running a property company in Brittany and seeing the French children outdoors in all weathers on the beach hand in hand with the grandparent playing in the sand with their sort of great waterproofs on and I decided that what I really wanted to do was create a fashion brand for children in the UK that would be properly practical and none of this kind of oh you can't go out to play today because it's raining I wanted to create really practical clothes that were super cute kind of with that French nautical styling, but then throw in a great big dose of British humour. And of course, you have to remember, I didn't have my own children at that stage. So I could really just look at it as a sort of design project. And so Jojo was created out of the mix of my three years or two and a half to three years running this property company in rural Brittany and the inspiration that I got from this lovely young mum who was buying for her children and found very little that was inspiring from the catalogues of the day. That's incredible. I mean, looking back now, I think my 25-year-old self, the fact that you had that idea and that drive, that determination, did you just know you wanted to be your own boss? I think from the age of eight or nine, I had had this entrepreneurial streak. And I do actually believe that being an entrepreneur, it's something that you're born with. It, it, it is nature, not necessarily nurture. And I really like being outdoors. And I'm also the youngest of a big family where my older siblings were very academic and I wasn't particularly academic. And no one seemed to bother about the fact that I was kind of fairly dreamy and I liked drawing and I liked cooking and sewing. You know, as far as I was concerned, in those days, girls were supposed to have those sorts of talents. And actually, that was great because it gave me the opportunity to explore the creative side of my nature. And I used to always find a way of monetizing it. So even as a kind of eight or 10 year old child, I remember making things to sell. You know, I lapped it up because I wasn't very academic and I was used to everyone telling me I was useless. So I found I found something that I could do. So obviously, that way... I was raising money for charity, but that turned into my mother saying I could pick strawberries from the garden if I wanted to sell them at the end of the drive. Nowadays, you never allow a sort of 10-year-old child to set up a strawberry fair, but I had this little stand at the end of the drive, and on a summer day, I set out the strawberries that I'd I'd picked. But my mum was quite clever because she made me always pay half 
the selling price back to her to cover the cost of the strawberries. So she instilled these business values in me from a very young age. So whatever I could do to raise pocket money, I did. And I think that's a really important lesson for young parents today, that pocket money should be earned. And of course, we don't believe in child labor, but we do want to instill this value for money in the younger generation. It sounds like you just really enjoyed being good at something from a very young age. And a lot of How to Start Up guests have talked about the weight of responsibility that arrives when starting their own company. I was wondering if you could expand on this from your experience. My mother's Catholic, so we had weight of responsibility anyway. And any any of your listeners who are Catholic will understand the sort of term Catholic guilt and that sense of duty that came a second nature coming from a, a large Catholic family translates very seamlessly to running your own business because my sense of responsibility for my team was absolutely top of the agenda from day one. My very first employees were um, a retired school teacher in Wales who was a family friend and a uh, someone who I'd um, employed through something called a youth opportunity program in the design studio in London. And the reason our warehouse was based in Wales and the design studio was based in London was because the flat share that I lived in in London was in effect our first design studio. That weight of running your business in the early years and particularly the early months when you're taking a risk possibly on giving up your day job. All of that did weigh very heavily. So those first employees who worked alongside me, I was just so grateful. And there's 1.1 million missing female founders in the UK alone, and that's a potential £250 billion value that could be added to our economy if women started and scaled businesses. And this statistic comes from the Alison Rose Review of Female Entrepreneurship. And given you started at a young age as a female founder, were there particular challenges you'd faced at the beginning? Did you feel like you were perceived as different because you were female starting out? The response that I got from the bank and from my family was sexist, without a doubt. But things have changed hugely since then. I mean, we really, you know, we really have smashed that glass ceiling as far as I'm concerned. So I cannot say that I've had any issues running my company. My last business in France, um, I was a builder predominantly or running my sites. And I subcontracted to about 20 French tradesmen, again, very old school, and they saw me as the mad English girl running around site to site. And they started off with a very negative attitude to my capability, but I proved them wrong. And they soon learned that I was far more efficient, far more hardworking, and actually a better business person, even as a builder in rural France, where I was learning on the job. So actually, I feel that being a woman has not been a disadvantage until I had children. And that's the turning point. So when I got pregnant with my first child, Jojo was actually about three years old as a company. And I remember one of my brothers turning to me and saying, well, that's it now, isn't it? That's the end of your ambition. You're going to have babies and you will lose all sense of championing what you currently feel is important. And I said, absolutely not. Don't be ridiculous. Um, This business is far too important for me. I'm going to do it all. 
And actually, I have to say, I did manage to do it all. But I have to admit that there have been sacrifices along the way. I also had to learn to survive on very little sleep. Because if you're bringing up your children, and you don't want to have nannies, I literally had my babies had to carry on working. You know, when when you're running your first company, you don't get maternity leave, you you know, what are you going to do? My business was tiny, I was the only signatory on the account in those days, I couldn't just take maternity leave. And I really would have had to have given up the business if I was going to do that. So I had to juggle both sides. And it was very hard. And I think it's something that I'm actually quite proud that I got through. But it wasn't without sacrifice. That's very, very interesting to hear that and very honest as well. And then in 2016, Jojo Mama Bebe became the first UK mother and baby retailer to become a certified B Corp. What does it mean to you to have that recognition? Certified B Corporation was something that I didn't particularly want to do at the time. We knew we had values in the business. We knew that we put people and planet above profit. We weren't looking for any form of exit strategy, and we didn't really feel that we needed an outside endorsement to our triple bottom line. However, I was busy running the business, giving speeches on ethical business practices, giving speeches on how to grow your business organically. And the values of the business kept coming up. And I would always reiterate that we see a return on investment from taking care of our teams looking after the planet, just on a simple level, upcycling and recycling. Generally, by having good values, we felt that our customers trusted us and in effect contributed to the bottom line profit. So looking at the ethos of the business was something that we had always done and always decided that we weren't going to compromise in pursuit of greater profits. The fact that we are, you know, we're very inclusive as a company. We've always sort of joked that we're an eccentric bunch and it starts from the top down. Um, We've all got different little quirks. There is no typical type of person at Jojo, which means that, you know, we really embrace people with diversity. It makes life just much more interesting to work with all different types of people. And when the third person came up to me and said, you really ought to consider being a B Corp. And I'd said, look, I'm too busy. I really just don't want to take on another layer of auditing. But then I read into it and I realized that everything that they stood for was what I stood for. And I actually thought, okay, let me just in my own time go through this audit, which is incredibly difficult to go through. So I decided that I would personally, in my own time, in the evenings, what little time I had, I would take the B impact assessment. And I actually found it fascinating that the questions I was asked whilst going through this assessment were questions that I had never actually thought to ask myself. So for instance, one of the questions around diversity was, who do we have on our board of directors? And I'd been incredibly proud of the fact that we were an all-female board. And at that time, I think we were the biggest British private company with an all-female board. 
in the impact assessment, we were marked down because of that. Because of course, being an all-female board sounds great, but where's the diversity there? Those are the sorts of questions that I was asked. Going through that impact assessment taught me so much more about those values that I held so high. And actually, I didn't even know to ask the questions. So we've become a better company since we've become a B corporation. And actually, I am proud that we've achieved it. It's really hard to get. And I'm happy to say we scraped through. Um, we're on about... Um, a 82 points, um, you need 80 points to pass. And the very best companies are around about sort of 140, 150 points, I think. Uh, so we are working on improving that score. And that's a great way of channeling your energy into improving your business ethos. And being a big corporation is just a starting point that means that we will continue to grow the business in a better and better way. Well, congratulations on becoming certified and maintaining it as well. In running your company, is there anything that you would go back and do differently? Yes, of course, there are things I do differently. You know, hindsight is great sort of benefit. But the reality is that running businesses for over 30 years means that I have a huge amount of experience. I made mistakes along the way, but I've learned through all those mistakes. And I think the one piece of knowledge that I have learned is that you've got to allow other people to make mistakes. As a leader, you need to give your teams a level of autonomy to give them the opportunity to make those mistakes. If you're so constricting in your delegation that you don't allow other people to make mistakes, obviously, you know, within reason, because you don't want to bring the company down, but you need to let other people be entrepreneurial as well. And that's something that um, took a bit of time to allow, but you'll never grow your business if you don't delegate. And in order to give people the confidence to make those mistakes and learn themselves, And what do you enjoy the most about being self-employed? I would say that what I like about self-employment was that flexibility. The fact that I could bring my children to the office when they were little until we got too big for that sort of thing. The fact that I could work from home when I could. So I guess what I enjoy most about being self-employed is the flexibility of juggling your, your children, your home life and your work. What I also enjoy the least about being self-employed is that the workday never ends for me. I am on duty 24-7. But that also comes back to that sort of sense of responsibility for my teams. You know, as a global business, we're buying from suppliers in China and India, we're selling across the world, and our stores are open seven days a week. So I am on duty all the time. And that's something that I think, if you decide to start your own company, how you switch off is the bit that I haven't quite worked out yet. Someone said to me, you've got to make sure you have a day off because you'll come back fresher when you do. And I was going to ask, is there any advice that you recommend for that? I am not the best person at learning how to switch off, but I believe that everyone should switch off. And I ask all my teams to take holidays and I am getting better at taking holidays, but I would always want to answer my emails on those holidays, which is not the advice that I would give to anyone else. And in fact, our HR team are uh, they're very good at nagging me and trying to get me not to answer emails. And it sounds like you know yourself really, really well as well. So you've got a level of comfort. You're like, I know I'm working this hard, but I want to, I choose to. I do choose to. And actually, you know, I I have got a plan to try to work a little bit less in the future. Thank you so much, Laura. Is there one last piece of advice that you'd like to offer new founders? I think today's business environment 
brand consistency through all channels is absolutely vital. And I was given that advice very early on. And so actually, I think that brand consistency is probably the most important piece of advice I would give any startup today. Thank you so much, Laura. I have learned so much from you today and I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. It's been lovely chatting to you today and um, I look forward to listening. It has been great to speak to Laura about all of the challenges she faced in her early entrepreneurial journey, as well as learning how important it is to be B Corp certified in her company today. If you'd like to contact Laura, you'll find all of her details in the show notes, along with a recap of the advice that she has so kindly shared. Thank you for listening to How to Start Up. I hope these conversations offer you some confidence, encouragement and reassurance that you're on the right track. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd be so appreciative if you were to rate, review and subscribe as it will really help other people starting a company discover it. Thank you.